Hello and welcome to Shift Impact Build. I'm Madelia Gibson, and if this is your first time here, make sure you go back and listen to episodes one and two. We have had some really great guests so far, Dr. Dia Bryant from the Education Trust um, NYC and Dr. Terry Orr from Fordham University. So make sure you guys go check those episodes out. If you are not a first time listener, thank you, thank you, thank you for coming back. I'm joined by my co-host, Caitlin Riley, Chris DePhillips, and another team member of the art, Lisette Aguilar. I am excited about our show today because we are talking about changing the Bronx narrative with improvement science. Just a reminder to listeners that we are recording this at home, so we apologize for any background noise. We are extremely fortunate to have a special guest on today's show. That guest is Bronx Executive Superintendent Misha Ross-Porter. Thank you for joining us today. Shift Impact Build is about shifting mindsets, impacting systems and students, and rebuilding equitable schools. And this is deeply aligned to the vision of Executive Superintendent Ross-Porter. Executive Superintendent Misha Ross-Porter grew up in New York City, where she attended Queens Vocational Technical High School and went on to receive her Bachelor's of Arts in English, concentrating in cross-cultural literature and Black and Puerto Rican studies at Hunter College. She later received her Master's degree in Administration and Supervision from Mercy College and completed her school district leader certification through the New York City Advanced Leadership Institute. Misha is currently pursuing her doctorate in educational leadership and administration and policy at Fordham University. She previously served as the principal of the Bronx School for Law, Government and Justice. During her tenure at LG, LGJ, Misha taught English before becoming an assistant principal and then taking the helm as principal in 2004. Prior to becoming the Bronx Executive Superintendent, Misha served as Superintendent for Community School District Number 11. We also want to congratulate Misha for receiving an honorary doctorate from Mercy College. Thank you for joining us today, Misha, <laughs> and congratulations. Thank again. you for having me. Thank you. I'm excited to be here with all of you. So before we dive into the interview with you, um, Misha, we want to provide some information about the Bronx for listeners because we know that context is important when talking about systems changes. So here's some data. Bronx County, New York public schools have an average math proficiency score of 31% versus New York public school average of 52% and reading proficiency scores of 35% versus 50% New York statewide average. For 2020, New York City DOE schools in the Bronx are serving 222,743 students. Minority enrollment is 96% of the student body, majority Hispanic, which is more than the New York public school average of 57%, majority Hispanic and Black. Latino students make up 63% of the student population, while Latino teachers make up 25% of the teacher population. Black students make up 26% of the student population, where Black teachers make up 20% of the teacher population. For 2020 school year, there are 430 public schools in the Bronx. The Bronx is the third most densely populated county in the U.S. Less than 50% of teachers are Black or Latino. In 2018, the Bronx had a population of 1.43 million people. Let's get to those 
amazing gains that we made um, in the 2018 to 2019 school year under your leadership. There's an increase in four-year high school graduation rate from 70.5% in June 2018 to 72.4% in June 2019. There was a decrease in level ones in math from 46% in 2018 to 42.5% in 2019, a 3.5% reduction. Average decrease in level ones in math across New York City was only 2.4%. There was an increase in level twos in math from 27.3% to 27.4%. Increased level threes and level fours in math from 26.6% in 2018 to 30.1% in 2019. That's a 3.5% increase. Average increase in level threes and level fours in math in New York City was just 2.9%. Increased level threes and level fours in ELA from 32.3% in 2018 to 33.4% in 2019. That's 1.1% increase compared to city average of 0.7% gains. So we would just really like to highlight those facts, congratulate you on your leadership and on these gains from the 2018 to 2019 school year, which was your first year in um, in this new leadership role. And so we know that with your guidance, the Bronx has been able to really move our students forward and move our practices forward to ensure that we, even as the Brownest Borough, um, and even as the, the borough that has... Um, the most amount of people as the borough that has um, an average school ranking in the bottom 50% of public schools in New York, we are making gains to really um, change that. And so we thank you um, and really want to congratulate you on your leadership being at the forefront as this is happening in the Bronx. Big up the Bronx, Bronx strong. Big up the Bronx. <laughs> Bronx strong. Thank us, Bronx strong all day. <laughs> That's what's up. Um, I mean, I, this is uh, the, so. I, I I've been so excited to have Misha on the uh, on the on the podcast because um, just being under her leadership over this this last year has been uh, um, really an an amazing experience, and and I've just learned so much because of her leadership. So this is a real uh, thrill for me too. So. Um, you know, this, this, this school year, Misha, we, we've had a lot of obviously unexpected challenges come up. Um, but that's not to say that so many dope things haven't happened so far this year, too. Um, so what are some of your highlights from your second year as executive superintendent? So, I mean, I think just, you know, um, you don't often think or re- think that in such a large uh area of coverage that you can have an impact and so just you know one of the things I I am super proud of is the gains that we made in the year um, that we transitioned to the executive superintendency Um, and I think that speaks greatly to you know believing in possibilities and understanding um, that things can change and so oftentimes and particularly in communities of color folks try to just maintain, you know, like they're like, let's just maintain things. Let's just keep things where they are. Like, let's not upset the apple cart. And that doesn't allow us to, to challenge what is possible. And I think it's just looking and um, I know people will be listening, but I'm getting to look at all of your faces. Um, but just being in this space with all of us, we, we are representative of the young people that we serve in the Bronx. And so I'm really proud of the ways that principals have, um, stepped up to the challenges put before them to move students 
I'm really proud of the work that we've done to advance equity in a meaningful way in the borough. Um, you know, in those statistics also outlines that the Bronx is the brownest borough in New York City. And so, um, you mm -hmm. know, keeping that in mind and understanding who and where we lead is critically important. And so the work we've done to advance equity from the beyond diversity work that we've done across the borough with principals and the BCO leadership um, to our gains, I, it, it all is about the work that we have to do to shift adult mindsets because we stay rooted in what we need to do with kids, yes. but kids show up perfectly imperfect, right? They are who they are. They come as they are. And the work is adult work that we have to do. Um, and that work is about shifting beliefs and mindsets. And I think that the one thing, if I was to say I've been successful at anything, it's, it's getting people to buy into that, to buy into beginning to shift their beliefs and mindsets and see that translate into outcomes for students. Thank you for that, Nisha. Um, I think even transitioning to the Bronx Borough office this year, we have experienced a lot of the positive changes um, from the Bronx Strong Hallway to different professional learning and different opportunities. And I think some of those areas just highlights how much the Bronx, Bronx means to all of us that are participating in today's episode, as well as the school leaders and teachers that are listening. So for me, I grew up as an educator in the Bronx. Um, that's where I had my first teaching job. That's where I have watched my students grow from seventh graders to, you know, young adults graduating high school and going on to college. I've had the privilege of making some of my best friends in the Bronx. Um, I'm hoping to find a husband who works in the Bronx schools, but Chris hasn't been doing a great job <laughs> with his matchmaking. So you know, we gotta yeah, make sure that. make sure he doesn't try to pull you and move you away because that's what they all do. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen it happen. <laughs> I mean, Chris hasn't been doing a good job of finding me a husband, so we're probably okay for a little while. But you know, if I if, here's the deal: if I if I find Caitlin a husband, the deal is that I get to officiate the wedding. So I'm trying hard. I'm working hard. <laughs> Cool. I will host the reception. <laughs> this sounds great. This sounds great. Yeah, I'm here is. for it. Um, so, Misha, can you share with the listeners a little bit about what the Bronx narrative means um, and how it has shaped you in how you lead in the Bronx? So if I'm honest, you know, part of that conversation started with me. I moved to the Bronx when I was in 11th grade from Queens, like forcefully. You know, my mom was a teacher. My mom is a teacher in the Bronx. Um, but my mom started teaching in the Bronx when I was like in 10th grade and would travel from South Jamaica to the Bronx. Um, three buses, trains, automobile, you know, every public transportation system she had to be on. And she finally just was like, I got to move because this is not going to work. And, you know, the Bronx in those, like that was like 1989, 1990s, you know, the Bronx... Um, was still recovering from the 70s mm -hmm. and the, the, the burning of the Bronx. Mm -hmm. um, and so there was this idea that the Bronx was this really dangerous place, this unsafe place. Um, and I, I felt that too. You know, I didn't want to come. I came kicking and screaming. And when I got here, and similar to your story, you know, I grew up here as a professional. My first job was working with a youth group in the Bronx. And so my first experience with young people in the Bronx as a young person was with young people who wanted to change the world. 
Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. even to this day, this very moment, uh, when, when if you travel out of this country, if you travel out of this borough and you tell somebody, I live, I work in the Bronx, you get this reaction. And that is what, for me, part of the changing a narrative is changing that reaction. You know, like this, like I said, my first experience professionally in the Bronx was with young people who wanted to change their community. That was my first experience. And people don't know that those, because of that experience, because of those young people, we built the Bronx School for Law, Government, and Justice. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I want people to know what I know and what I learned very quickly when I got to the Bronx. I want people to know that they're, this borough is rich in culture, rich in community, rich in leadership, rich in power. Some of the most talented people came out of the Bronx in this world, right? Like, you know, Ralph Lauren came from the Bronx. Everybody's mm-hmm. got something polo in mm-hmm. the closet. Hip hop started <laughs> in the Bronx. Yeah. Hot, even bebop started in the Bronx. I don't even know what that is, but <laughs> yeah, we said it did. So I um, But the Bronx is the birthplace of so many amazing movements. And yet we maintain this bad rap. And I yeah. think that that rap is rooted deeply in systemic racism, mm-hmm. deeply rooted in being the brownest borough in New York City, right? And so part of shifting the narrative of the borough is also about shifting the narrative around people of color. Nice. Um, thank you for sharing that, Misha. Uh, I grew up in the Bronx and uh, and was a student of Bronx public schools. Uh, shout out to District mm-hmm. 11. Uh, I went to PS 76 and Frank D. Whelan <laughs> Middle School. What? what? Yes. <laughs> um, and uh, like you, I grew up with that uh, hearing or sensing this negativity of around the Bronx and Bronx schools. Um, and while I had witnessed inequalities in schooling based off of witnessing my older brother and sister's experience with school. So my brother was placed in automatically bilingual special ed class because he had a Spanish surname, but didn't really speak Spanish. My sister was in special ed, but was never diagnosed with dyslexia, right? But because of my learning style, I was always tracked in the higher ed classes. Um, So I, I saw the inequities there, but I also saw the beauty of the Bronx. Growing up where I grew up, you know, uh, what was happening in our District 11 schools, I could also see the nice community things that they did for us as well. And so when I left the Bronx, I would experience that reaction that you said. And I have a funny story later that I'll share Mm -hmm. um, about that when I went to Binghamton. But um, so, but as a result of what I had seen, um, it became my passion and my desire to shift that, right? To change that, to transform that. Um, And so that, that has impacted my career. Um, and with that, then, and that's what led me here to work with the academic response team. How do you see the academic response team in supporting your vision for the Bronx? Mm-hmm. So the work of the academic response team is rooted in improvement science. And if we go back to what I said earlier about the work in our system is about adults and not about children, um, it is in service of children, but it's not about what, what children need to do. And I think for me, what's important about improvement science is about developing cycles of improvement, identifying the root cause of a problem, as opposed to just going to solve, right? 
if there's a gap in a school, the immediate leadership move is often, let me solve that problem. But when you solve that problem without unpacking the problem, without analyzing the problem and getting to the root cause of the problem, big or small, you can't solve. You can't solve a literacy problem if a kid is hungry, right? So if you are worried about a particular group of students um, and you don't unpack the reason why Misha's not doing homework is because when I get home, I'm, I'm so hungry I'm emotionally, physically drained because there's nothing to eat. If you don't unpack that, the reason why, you know, you know, thinking about your brother and sister, um, my surname isn't who I am. It is my surname, but it doesn't define who I am as a learner. If you don't unpack who a student is as a learner, you can't solve their learning problems. Mm -hmm. And even at our higher levels, if you aren't, if we aren't for our higher achieving students, thinking about what growth means for them, then they will not move further than where they are. And so I think this work is important in the Bronx particularly because, you know, that work about, I believe deeply that the work in the Bronx is about shifting beliefs and mindsets because there's so many representations of young people who've been successful and come through our schools and, and have had amazing educations. And for me, when I dive down deeper and deeper into why, 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 asking many, many questions, it, for me, it got down to it's what people believe. People don't believe we can do or be better. So then what shall I do to shift beliefs and mindsets? And I think improvement science roots mm -hmm. us in a process of going deeper into a problem. So we aren't solving the surface problem, but we're getting to the root cause of the problem so we can address that. It also creates a structure around problem solving and equips everyone to be a team player in that process. Um, so particularly in a borough like the Bronx that has been stagnant for a long time, right? Like where we haven't seen the gains that we are starting to see, it's important to get down to the why. And mm -hmm. that is so much of the work that you all are doing um, um, in our schools. You've been on the forefront of this, of, of, of using improvement science to improve schools um, for a long time now. Uh, and, and when you were superintendent of District 11, you partnered with um, Fordham and ILE. And now we're doing it with the art team. Do you, do you see a way that improvement science can kind of expand it's it's reach um, throughout the Bronx. Yeah, and I mean, I think we're doing that already. I mean, we have the work that was started in District 11. We're expanding work to District 9 and 10. Um, we formed what, I mean, like three partnerships to move the work across the borough um, in different ways. And, you know, so I think the, the next step is like, what are we doing internally to advance the work in, in our organization, right? So that, you know, in, when our instructional leads are out, when our um, different uh, content area coaches are out, that they're also leveraging the tools of improvement science. But I definitely, you know, I think that what we've already started to do 
is to branch out the work in different ways, right? Like the art team has a particular focus on a particular set of types of schools, um, but the practice makes sense across all schools. Along with that, and like really thinking about um, leadership, uh, Caitlin and I have had the privilege of participating in the first cohort of the Bronx yeah. Transformational Leadership Collaborative, um, where we actually were able to see the overlapping of thinking um, based on a lot of the activities that we did. We were like, oh my gosh, we're doing this. Like, this is stuff we know. Um, and you and Executive Director Nancy Saffer established this program in 2019 um, as a leadership pipeline program in the Bronx. Uh, promising teacher leaders and assistant principals were selected to be a part of the one-year program, um, participating in monthly various leadership activities. Um, kudos to us, Caitlin, for making the cut. Uh, yes. <laughs> that provided them with the real-world experience in identifying school-wide problems of practice and providing actionable feedback um, to our peers in real time on how to address these issues. Um, and I kind of feel like I know but I really want maybe listeners to know um, what really inspired you to create this program and where are you hoping it goes from here? So again, you know, what I know about leading in the Bronx um, is that the leader matters. The school leader, mm -hmm. right, is the lever for change. If you, and I, I say this, when you walk into the school and you smell roses and see sunshine, it is because the leader is walking you through roses and sunshine. When you see darkness and clouds, it's because the leader <laughs> is walking you through clouds. I've walked with principals who have been in some really tough places, but have like shown me light throughout that experience. And it, again, acknowledging who we are, acknowledging you know who we serve, if we want to change outcomes for our children, if we want to create schools that provide rigorous programs for our students, then we have to have leaders believe that they can meet those challenges. And so this program was about, and this program continues to be about, my, my first um, as superintendent of District 11 and then as executive superintendent for the Bronx, my first clear step for myself was there will not be a principal in this borough or in my district that I did not have a hand mm -hmm. in selecting because that is the lever for change. But in order to do that, you got to have a pool of really talented mm -hmm. people. And if you don't have a pool of talented people, you know, and I've seen this, I've also seen, and I think this is probably more why I've seen leaders who've picked people because it's the Bronx. And so they picked a person who was not ready to meet the challenge mm -hmm. of the school that they had to lead. And that was done because it's the Bronx. Mm -hmm. And for me, I, I'll never, I will always remember, I, I selected Andrea Tucci to lead PS 112. And I said to her, it was, a, it, it was in single digit proficiency rates, had been that way for decades. And I said to her, if you do well here, you will be my boss someday everybody's going to tell you not to take this job. Everyone's going to tell you not to take this job. I'm telling you, there's no one who I think can do this job like you can. And she has like the, she has done great work there, but people have to believe that they can make a change. They have to believe that you believe in them 
and you have to put the right people in the right places. And so in order to have the right people, we had, we had to develop our own candidate pool. Um, I did that in district 11. We created our principal's um, bench and every single principal in district 11 came out of that bench while I was superintendent there. Um, and our goal is that our future leaders of APs and principals in the Bronx come out of that space. And so it really is about cultivating the leaders that I know that we need to lead our schools. And in the Bronx, you need transformational leaders, right? Like non-negotiable. You There has to be a transformational leader who believes in possibilities for all children. And if that is not you, then you go lead someplace else, right? Like you, you because you have to be able to walk into any school and see possibilities and potential. And so that space for me was about creating that candidate pool, but also, you know, building a community because, mm -hmm. you know, you all, I mean, Caitlin staffed the art team. So like, if we really want to, <laughs> right? Like Caitlin was in that room, right? Networking and saying, wow, you guys think I'm good. You, you guys should meet Adelia. You guys should meet, mm -hmm. right? And so it's also about that. It's about building a community of folks who believe in each other and will always continue to lift each other up. And so I know in this group of people, wherever you all go next, but you can't go anywhere and talk. But wherever you go next. Oh, we know yes, that. We know that. that. <laughs> Let's be clear, honey. Um, but wherever you go next, you'll always be connected, mm -hmm. right? Like you will always call each other and say, hey, I'm struggling with this. I'm grappling mm -hmm. with this because of what you know about each other's leadership. And it's about, you know, when I was a principal, I was a principal, I was one of the urban assembly principals, one of the smartest group of people that I've ever worked with in my life. We really respected each other. We all believed in our schools, no matter where they were across the city. Um, and, you know, we, we were all battling to be the best, but also really encouraging and supporting each other. And we can't have leaders who are like, I want to be the best principal in the Bronx. I don't care about mm -hmm. the people down the block. We got to have leaders that are like, like Caitlin, when she was recruiting, like, <laughs> I want to work on a dope mm -hmm. team. And mm -hmm. I just met Adelia and she will be dope. So I'm bringing her to you guys because that's the part of this team. Because then you are moving mm -hmm. a borough. Yeah. My work is not about mm -hmm. how I move a school. My work is about how I move a borough. So I have to have an army of people who are moving that borough with me. Yeah, I feel like that that was my that is my Bronx narrative. Like I'm from Brooklyn. So we know we are <laughs> you know so, the Bronx um, is the place of immigrants and migrants. We accept I everyone. <laughs> yes. But I taught in Brooklyn, I taught in Manhattan, and then I taught in the Bronx. And I always knew when I would tell my mom, um, I'm gonna be a principal in the Bronx. Like so I'm moving in that direction because I know that like based on like living in the 90s and, and knowing like this is what people people have a very specific picture in their head when you say the Bronx for me to have lived and then I moved to the Bronx so then I lived in the Bronx for like five years by myself without my mommy and she was like are you okay every night you know <laughs> mm -hmm. um because it's hard it's different when you when you're not from that space and you only know yeah. what you've heard, you know what the what the media says is happening in the Bronx and things that are real, right? Like things that are really happening in certain parts yeah. of the Bronx. Um, so mm -hmm. for me, 
yeah, like my Bronx narrative was that I always knew I'd be a principal in the Bronx, even when I taught in a charter school in Brooklyn. I'm like, I'm going to be a principal in the Bronx for the DOE and watch me. Um, and, you know, at the time there was a freeze in the DOE, so nobody thought that I'd ever get in anyway. Um, but uh, here you are. Here I am. <laughs> yep. Here I am in the Bronx. Here you are. <laughs> Um, Misha, if, as you reflect over the experiences that you've had as a teacher, principal, superintendent, now executive superintendent, what advice would you give to, to other people that are working in education, whether it's a teacher, school leader, coach, what would be your advice for them? You know, you one have to make sure that the place that you're at is the place where you belong, is the place of fit. Um, you know, education, like educating young people is God's work. It just is. Um, and if you don't believe, or if you're not in a place where you belong, then you can't have the impact that, that you want and need to have. Um, and so that's the first thing. And I, I would say that even when I interviewed new teachers, right, I, I would say, why do you want to work at this school? Right. Even as a superintendent and as an executive superintendent, why do you want to lead in the Bronx? Good answer, Delia, by the way. <laughs> like, why do you want to lead in the Bronx? Because I want to make sure that you're not just looking for a job. Mm -hmm. Right. You get a job. Somebody go hire mm -hmm. you. Right. <laughs> Smart people going to get hired someplace. But for me, being in the right place allows you to just really blossom and realize your full potential. Um, so that would be my first thing would be like, make sure you get a place that's a good fit for you. It changes your ability to have impact and it changes how you experience work. Um, my favorite job was being a principal. I loved being a principal. Um, and I also think that what I love the most about being a principal was the relationships and the community that you could build in school. And so the other thing I would say is, and, and I think that's part of the work that I'm trying to figure out here in this really large space, you also have to build community wherever you go. Because once you find your right fit, then you got to find your right family, mm -hmm. right? You got to find your people. And so really be thoughtful about how you build community, how you become a real part of the, the fabric of, of a place. Um, because again, all of that changes how you experience your professional life. And we work too hard. Mm -hmm. we, we feel way too obligated to work too hard, to not be with, with people who you believe care about you, to not be in a place where you belong, right? Like we just, we educators inherently work hard because we go to bed every night with young people on our hearts and souls. And so if mm -hmm. you don't feel connected, then you will not be able to show up in the way that you need to. And if you don't see, feel covered and protected as well, you won't show up in the way you need to. So with that, um, can you talk to us about what, what does it mean to be Bronx strong and how mm. you want that to show up in the principals, teachers, staff, students um, in our yep. district? So, I mean, people, I think, think about uh, even with that, right, which is like a really powerful and we throw up our exes and all of that. Um, but it's not about the fight. 
and I've been really grappling with children being resilient also. Like mm-hmm. that's been my latest grapple. Like why should kids have to be resilient through adult mm-hmm. stuff? Um, so for me, being Bronx Strong is about creating, you know, high level learning experiences for students in every school. It is about connecting with families. It's about connecting with the community. It's about building relationships. It's about being prideful about your neighborhood, your block, your community, your school. Um, And so it is really being Bronx strong is rooted in really having pride and ownership in the borough um, for leaders being really committed to building high level learning experiences for all students. Um, But also you know, acknowledging and honoring the many, many cultures that live here in the Bronx. And so it is just really about how we honor who we are and our people. Um, We're going to uh, have like an episode dedicated specifically to equity. And we Mm -hmm. know that equity is near and dear to your heart and really, um, uh, looking at disproportionality is like embedded in who the art team is. Mm -hmm. So what do equitable equitable outcomes mean to the Bronx and to your executive superintendency? I think so first, I mean, let's take this moment, right? Like Mm -hmm. this pandemic. Again, we win the disproportionality wars, right? Like again, the Bronx has been disproportionately Mm -hmm. affected, right? Again, black and brown communities are suffering you know, while everyone is suffering, and I don't want to diminish anyone's suffering, mm-hmm. but the ways in which this this pandemic is leveraging our communities is, again, disproportionately higher than other communities. And so equitable outcomes for me is recognizing and acknowledging that to be true, period, right? Because I, and I said this somewhere, I don't even remember where, my next fear is people are going to say, let's not, we can't do equity because we got to focus on, right, kids mm-hmm. learning because of the learning loss that mm-hmm. happened because of the pandemic and they're not going to pass the state exams, right? And so let's get back to, what is it? I can't remember what 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 somebody named it. Let's get, but let's it was get like back trauma. To yeah, yes, like people right? were talking about like trauma teaching now, not equitable and outcomes, so, but trauma. Right, like the reality is this thing has landed the way it is and the way it has disproportionately on a community of color, period. Mm -hmm. And so if we don't acknowledge that in our work, if we don't keep at the forefront of our work, that while there are men, there are over a hundred thousand folks in this country who have died, Mm -hmm. right? Last night I was watching the news and uh, they did autopsies on uh, folks who died from COVID in New Orleans, and they've done like 26 autopsies. 23 were African-American people. Hmm. Again, it doesn't dismiss other people's mm-hmm. pain, but how much mm-hmm. do our communities have to continue to be burdened with? And so we can't show up in September and say we got to catch up, catch up, catch up without acknowledging Our children have been disproportionately affected. Our communities have been disproportionately affected. Our schools have been, right? And so we have to Mm -hmm. enter whatever our new normal becomes 
thinking about what we do with that information and how do we lead in that space and not just say, and, you know, because again, if we go back to improvement science, right? Like the problem for many people may be how are we going to get people, our students to make sure those they pass those state exams and we keep that gap closing that we started to close. But that ain't the root cause of the problem, Mm-mm. right? Mm-hmm. And so you could, if you jump into test prep or whatever you jump into without really unpacking that, then you're not going to solve. Mm-hmm. And so equitable outcomes is about acknowledging the reality that we live in, acknowledging the moments that we live in, and acknowledging when we, in our mission statement for the BCO, talked about acknowledging race and culture, we must still. So when we get back to whatever our normal is, we need to acknowledge, you know, national news yesterday, River Park Towers, the death towers in COVID, Mm -hmm. in the Bronx, Mm -hmm. in District 9, right? It was in the Wall Street Journal or the Washington Post. Yeah. So, Like, let's not let other people tell our story and our narrative while Mm -hmm. we don't acknowledge the reality of which we're working in. And so, again, for me, equitable outcomes is about acknowledging that use leveraging what we know about improvement science to get to the root cause of the problem and and it's so funny because one of the hardest things for me in in the program as a student and a learner is identifying the right problem Mm -hmm. to solve Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. so yeah um what's uh what's so that, that that's that that's it. That's the last of our questions. Uh, what cool. one major takeaway that that you want folks to kind of walk away from this this podcast with? Hmm. That we are really cool. Now. <laughs> well, I was gonna say that that if Caitlin so has dope. has agreed to um, let me find her husband and has agreed to let me officiate the wedding on the podcast, so that's official now. And I am hosting the reception. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Um, But, you know, I think I want people to walk away with some smaller things, right? Like, people get the big chunks from the really great questions you asked. But, you know, like, you all are still collaborating. You all are figuring out in this virtual way how to create spaces for learning um, and to continue continue learning um, and are still here supporting schools in this most difficult time. And so I think what I would want people to take away is what are the ways we remain connected in our most disconnected time? Yeah. That's dope. Thank you for joining us today, Misha. There's a lot of things that came up in today's episode that I really want to think more about. And some things that are really on my heart and mind right now are believing in possibilities and potential of the students that we work with. And how do we continue to shift adult mindset so that we can support student learning? We know the listener will want to learn more about the work that's going on in the Bronx and to connect with you. Can the listener connect with you on Twitter? But yeah, I'm, I'm at Misha Porter. Follow me, at me. 
hashtag me hashtag Bronx strong all day all of that yes thank you Adelia I'm on the gram Emboss Co 116 that's my goals of Queens you know you gotta I told you you gotta stay um you know prideful 116th Ave was my block in Queens so I'm on the gram too find me Want to learn more about the topics we mentioned today or have a question about what was shared? Connect with us on Twitter at BX underscore ART. Visit our website at sites.google.com backslash strongschools.nyc backslash bronxart backslash. Or send us an email. Don't forget to like our podcast and subscribe to know when we have uploaded new content. Awesome. Thank you guys. Thank you, Mia.